0: hello and welcome to the vote her podcast because when you vote great things can happen hi i'm mara davis talent booker pop culture and political enthusiast and podcaster ready to yammer on today
1: and i am state senator jen jordan i'm a state senator obviously i'm a mom i'm a lawyer and we are in an election year can you believe it? I
0: can. And I said to you on the phone last week, it was like, oh, do I still call you Senator because you wrapped up your session?
1: Yeah, but yes, yes, of course. I'm in office until the end of the year, until December 31st, so still saying.
0: representing the good folks of SD6. Still call me Senator till December 31st. Okay, Senator, tell me about session.
1: Man, it was not the most fun I've ever had. Looked rough. Yeah, it was pretty rough because you had all of these political priorities of the governor, of people running statewide, you know, like Butch Miller or whomever, right, on the Republican side. And it was almost like this checklist I mean, you could literally look at somebody's commercial or political ad and say, "Okay, we know exactly what they're going to try to push. And man, they went straight through it.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, the ones that stuck out were, of course, the the ban on transgender student sports, which you had said to me that it's it's bad, of course, because they're making laws based on like a handful of kids. But it could have been worse. Right.
1: Well, the the way it works actually is it creates just some process where it hands it over to the Georgia High School Association to, to, to make some kind of rules or determination with respect to it. So it's just kind of one of these things where I think it's almost like a paper tiger in that if you look at what they're putting out there, they're acting like they've you know, ban transgender sports and, you know, they're standing up for little girls everywhere. The reality of what the bill does, it doesn't do that. But you got to go back to the point that they are targeting children through no fault of their own, you know, have become kind of this political football. And, um, you know, we've fallen pretty far in life when when we go after kids to score political points.
0: It truly is awful. And th- here's one thing that, that I wonder, all these people that are saying, we need fairness in women's sports are usually the same people uh, that say, nobody watches the WNBA or we don't need ladies March Madness or I don't want a female coach on the field or it, it's this weird hill they're dying on that I
1: just don't
0: understand.
1: It's just this faux kind of patriarchal, you know, we're going to protect you kind of thing, right? It's like this, this prote- I call it protective misogyny, right? It's it's where they assume that that women and girls need their protection in some way. They need to step in and and help them out. And the issue specifically with this bill and the messaging around it is, and I think the Georgia high school. Association said this: There's not a single instance of there being a transgender girl trying to, you know, play um, on a girls' team in the state of Georgia. So it is it is a purported solution. I don't even think it's a solution, but is a purported solution just in search of a problem. And like I said, at the end of the day, it really does just target children it's so sad as well it's like that and the divisive
0: concepts law that went into effect which you also said could have been a lot worse
1: well it's just kind of it's just kind of goofy i mean i don't look some of the stuff that the the law says is is not right um not factually right and, and harmful but you know when i read it what i come away with is that man, these Republican men, you you know, they always talk about Democrats being snowflakes. I mean, these folks have gotten their feelings hurt. (laughs) And so because they've gotten their feelings hurt, you know, they're just going to pass a law to make sure you can't hurt their feelings anymore. Seriously. And so I'm just kind of like, this is this is just this is silly. And then, of course, the
0: open carry, you know, have fun. Uh, that's a, another conversation for another day, but certainly a lot of attention on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, what it comes down to is with that open carry, the permitless carry law, is that it is going to make it easier for people that we don't think should have guns, that even Republicans purportedly don't think should have guns, like felons or folks that maybe have just been released after some kind of mental health crisis or who've been adjudicated insane by a court of law. I mean, I think we can all agree there's not a lot of daylight there in terms of should these people, you know, be able to carry around an AK-47 in public? I mean, that should not be a controversial position. But apparently, you know, Republicans are like, you know, we're going for it. And man, did they.
0: It's really weird because, you know, the first two topics that we talked about, the divisive concept and the trans, which seems to be so big, and then you follow up with the end with the permitless carry. And I I had seen some texts from Atlanta public schools where I have a son that goes there and it was all about like, hey, we know this is out there, but there's still no guns permitted on our campuses. And that really drove home for me that like, you know, people are really raising a stink over. Parents' rights in schools, and and give give fairness to girls. You know, uh, to girls' sports. The thing that freaks me out the most in schools that I wake up every morning worried about is guns. Is shooter drills. Is what these kids have become numb to. So I am just amazed at the time spent. On these things, that's sure. If you want to debate about what's right and wrong, or a case by case basis about what is and isn't appropriate, it just seems like the priorities for parenting are are just.
1: I mean, it's really upside down. Well, look, it was so interesting because, like, at one moment in time when we were debating one law, right, or one bill, it was like we want to honor and empower parents, and then. In the second instance, it was like, we want to make sure that parents can't make these decisions. I mean, it was like whatever the focus was or whatever they needed to get over the line politically, that's just how they would justify this. So there wasn't even there's no even any kind of intellectual consistency in terms of even with all of the these policies or these bills that they were pushing in passing. And my guess is that the only consistency is that, you know, some political consultant did some polling and said, well, these these are the things you need to get done if you're going to win the Republican primary.
0: Yeah, that's really a bummer. Uh, I just want to bring up the one bill that didn't get through was the uh, abortion pill mailing that didn't
1: make it. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about about what happened to that with that? Yeah, it's my understanding. It just didn't get called to the floor. You know, because it got out of committee and um, which it was in the Health and Human Services Committee in the House. Okay, it got a vote and got out. And so once that happens, all the bills go kind of like they're they're like standing in line. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it is for the leadership, the Republican leadership to pull the bills that they want to hear. It's just it's sometimes it's just whatever is happening. It can be the luck of the draw. And then sometimes it's, okay. we're not going to push this over this session. Well, obviously, and this is something we're going to be talking about
0: in the coming weeks and why, again, is so important to really learn more about Senator Jen and vote for Senator Jen for Attorney General. These abortion laws are just, I mean, every day I'm waking up and I'm reading more Kentucky, Oklahoma, Florida all waiting for what the Supreme Court's going to do. This is, it's really scary.
1: Well, what's scary is that we have a Supreme Court that isn't willing to kind of step in and give guidance. So then you get these rogue states, right, that are controlled by Republicans that see a political opportunity just to kind of, you know. Hurt women. Right. And it does. Look, it does. That's just, this isn't about helping women or or wanting to make sure that they make great decisions or supporting them in terms of having families and and healthy babies. None of that. This is really just about, you know, control.
0: Yeah. So obviously they
1: can't pull anything like this in Georgia, right? Because session's over? Right. Session's over. Okay. That's like the only good thing about us being a part-time legislator is that as soon as we're done, we're done. We can't pass any more laws unless there's a special session called or we go back into legislative session in January. Okay. Your speech that you gave,
0: uh, you know, your, you know, your final speech, which I'd like to play.
1: You know, my husband's family has deep ties to this body. His great grandfather, Hamilton McCorder Senior, was a senator and president of the Senate in nineteen thirty three. And his great uncle, Hamilton McCorder Jr. also served as a senator and then as secretary of the Senate for 25 years. But while those are the traditions of my husband and, of course, now my children, that they weren't mine. And I think, for me, that is what has made serving such an honor. I was raised by a single mother who had a beauty shop, and that's where I went every day after school. And so I grew up listening to the women in my hometown talk about their lives and their problems. And what I learned was that no matter who you are, how many times you go to church or how much you pray, bad things can happen to you. And when bad things happen, everyone deserves someone to fight for them. That's why I became a lawyer, that's why I ran for office, and that's why I serve. You know, it's bittersweet to be leaving. The last five years have been some of the most rewarding and challenging of my life. I tell people it's been a growth experience, and I think that's true. You know, and I leave the Senate probably most proud of the gains we have made in representation with respect to women. Um, I'm not sure if Republicans know this or not, but um, women make up a supermajority of the Democratic caucus now in the Senate, and that's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. And I know the number of women running and serving is only going to grow. But I have to acknowledge the deep debt of gratitude I owe to my beloved family in this great state. This great state has made my life and service possible. I believe in this body, I believe in this state, and I even believe in each of you. So I'm going to leave you with one last admonition. If you don't remember anything else I've said, if you ever need a good lawyer, you know where to find me. I yield the well. What did that feel like when you were done with that? You know, it really was kind of bittersweet because um, the Senate has been such a big part of my life for five years. I mean, for good or bad. And so it's kind of looking ahead and thinking about it differently you know, it's like exciting, but at the same time, it's, you know, when you get comfortable in something and you, you, you know, you know, folks, they know you, it's just like going to a new school. Right. And so, um, but yeah, it was time. It's time for me to leave. It was a great
0: speech. Your hair looked great. Well, (laughs) shout out
1: to Brett.
0: Shout out to Brett Parker, Studio Nico. Um, I mean, that's a I would say a plus in our friendship. I got you a great hair colorist. Uh, Yes, you did. Thank you. (laughs) that, That was just I don't know. I got emotional watching that. I think, you know, I learned about you as your time being a state senator. And I think you have motivated so many women to be more active in politics and to speak out, learn more, educate themselves. And that brings me to our next topic. If you read the headlines every single day, it's basically like Democrats give up. You're going to lose every race in the midterms. It's over. Dems in disarray. You have a messaging problem, inflation, Biden's poll numbers. It's like doom and gloom. Central. Anybody who thought the liberal media was liberal media, well, they are just really working off clicks about anything that's possibly
1: negative about Democrats. Uh, Give us some hope, Jen. No, look, we're, we're still coming out of this pandemic and there are real issues in terms of the supply chain, which then impacts inflation. I mean, we still have folks that aren't comfortable going back to work, right? Or um, maybe you know, they're having to be a caretaker at home. I mean, we are still in a very precarious place in terms of a country. And so we're seeing that play out in the larger economy. But let's let's be clear. I mean, we're doing great. I mean, unemployment is at a record low. I mean, wages are high. now, granted, again, inflation's high too. So, you know, it may kind of balance each other out, but we've got a lot to look forward to and talk about in terms of wins, specifically Democrats, and we're just going to have to keep our head down and keep talking about our values, um, but also point to the things that we've been able to do. And I think because of Ossoff and because of Warnock, um, you know, we were able to get Biden's Supreme Court justice nominee confirmed. And it was historic and incredible and so special and incredible for so many people. So it's one of those things where don't listen to the noise, just kind of look at the things that you know we've been able to do and the things that we are going to be able to do if if we just kind of keep going. You said this to me, six months is a long time. That's what we have. Six days is a long
0: time in politics now. And... Another thing you said to me, you know, you, when we talk, I hold on to every word, Jen. <laughs> uh, you said you don't want to have your big
1: moment right now. No, I mean, campaigns are just like anything. There's like you just got to build. It's almost like building a house. It's like the foundation and you kind of keep in. And, and, and it's just kind of this drumbeat right in the background. You don't want a campaign to peak too soon. And so, you know, we're here, we're, we're getting ready for this primary. We're going to, you know, we're going to keep working. But ultimately, this is about November and about beating Chris Carr. And so that is what we are focused on.
0: Okay. In other uh, political news towards the primary, it was announced that Warnock and Abrams raised an incredible amount of money. I think that, what did they say? Over, like a
1: gazillion dollars? Like
0: 24. Million and then five million on hand, and then Abrams. It was around the same thing. Herschel Walker raised about five million. So, what do you think about the Purdue Kemp? I mean, what we're. I mean, it looks like man per- Purdue's like bombing. Well, he's bombing, but when it's all said and done, does he say, "Oh, well, all right, I
1: endorse Kemp now," and does he campaign for Kemp? I have no idea. I mean, it has gotten really ugly. It's nasty. I mean. Kemp's ads are uglier than Ossoff's ever were. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this has gotten so personal that they're not going to be able to kind of come back from it. We'll see. Um, I think they will. Well, you know, all in the name of keeping power. That's right. I think they will. My dear. Yes. I mean, Purdue definitely prefers Kemp over Stacey Abrams. Of course. So, Of course. So, you know, you just
0: have to wonder is, you know, obviously Trump hates camp so much and as we keep learning as more things come out and it's almost like nobody cares anymore it's just like wow we tried to have a stage a coup overthrow the election and people are just like oh yeah well that happened oh well uh because it's we're 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 so fatigued from it all but what happens if trump steps in i mean at the few days before and says I mean as we learned and as I learned reading Greg Bluestein's book Flipped which I highly recommend was excellent especially the shout out I got at the very end rah, rah. <laughs> uh, but you know Trump really I mean really the runoffs in 2020 It's out there to see that, yes, the Democrats had a great strategy in place. They mobilized a lot of people. They had a lot of money. They had a strong story. But it was Trump who put it over
1: the top to make them win. Yeah, I think that, look, I think Republicans are concerned. I I know that the Kemp team is, and, and part of it is because in terms of Kemp Abrams, for example from 2018 there was a 50k delta um you know she lost by 50,000 votes approximately and that was with Kemp outperforming Trump right in Georgia so right. he got all the Trump votes right. he's very and then, popular and then was able to even yep. add on top of that mm-hmm. so if if you look at he completely outperformed and that margin was 50,000 votes you know, you take away even just kind of one sliver of those Trump supporters, I mean, it really could be determinative for the election. But I also think that's why they keep banging on Democrats in terms of inflation and the like cuz they want to drive down our turnout numbers and make people not want to vote for Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why they're being so aggressive because they've got to play defense, but they've got to play offense too. Okay. Uh and then let's talk about warnock
0: and um obviously herschel walker is the front runner i mean do you think he's going to win that primary outright
1: yeah i think he's going to win the primary i mean but wow man <laughs> but again it reminds
0: me of of trump in in the ways where every day something came out about him leading up to the election that were horrible i mean he has over a dozen uh, sexual
1: abuse allegations, and people voted for him anyway. Well, you have to y- you have to remember though that the only way that that negative, op- you know, negative oppo, right? Yeah. Bad stuff. The only way that it can really move the needle is if somebody puts money behind it. Okay. Right. It, and sends it into, because not everybody's reading the AJC, that's not right. everybody's on Twitter, not ever, you know, all of these things. So I think the issue is, is that the Republicans in that primary do not have the money to weaponize that material. But Warnock and the DSCC are going to have the money and are going to be able to kind of talk about it and spread it far and wide. Um, and that's when things start. To turn
0: a little bit. That's an interesting perspective. Okay. I hadn't looked at it that way because, in my mind, you know, all this, right? You see it, you're like, okay. Yes. And I also think, and as I learned so much from you uh, and your campaign and Meg, your great campaign manager, as far as like mobilizing voters and money. Allows you to mobilize voters, which is I learned so much from Greg's book about how you can get out there and knock on doors and reach people that you couldn't and you need money to do that. And that is certainly helping as far as the Warnock campaign. But do you think that there's going to be a Kemp voter who like I know, like maybe someone in my family, okay, who is a staunch Republican, couldn't vote for Trump, couldn't stomach Trump, did not vote for Biden. But couldn't stomach Trump, didn't vote for him, maybe wrote a candidate in. So do you think he'll likely vote for Kemp? But will he vote for Warnock because he just can't stomach
1: Herschel Walker? It's just against that. Do you think there'll be a Kemp-Warnock uh, voter? There could be. I mean, because if you think about it from the perspective of, you know, Kelly Leffler's attacks on Warnock were really that he was a conservative black Southern Baptist pastor, right? And he has been very moderate in terms Liberal, of, you mean. You said conservative, so liberal pastor. She called him liberal, right. but, but all the clips she was putting out there... Oh, that he's I like mean, a that's, radical. That's like... No, but that's like what people hear in Southern Baptist Church every Sunday. That's right. Outside of Metro Atlanta, <laughs> right? So I'm like, she's helping him, right? Yeah. She, she's making him look like just a normal Southern Baptist preacher that everybody has has heard at some point in their life, right? And so that is kind of how people think about him. And then in terms of the U.S. Senate, he's been very, you know, he's been very clear in terms of what he's done. He has not been liberal or radical or anything, um, and he's been able to deliver for the state. So if you take that all together, I mean, you know what you get with Warnock. Because, you know, you've seen them in action. Herschel, I mean, that is a real question mark. Yeah. And and my
0: biggest worry, and we're going to get into this in a minute with our guest, is whatever election, whatever result happens, now you have, I think, so there was a poll that the AJC put out as far as like Trump's influence on certain endorsed Republicans And 75 percent of the people polled believed that there was fraud in the election, that Biden did not win fairly. That's
1: crazy. Well, it is crazy. And I think that poll, though, that one of the most fascinating things from that is that Kemp's doing pretty well. Right. And and the the Trump thing didn't really move the needle in terms of Trump backing Purdue. But with all of those down ballot races for like lieutenant governor, um, insurance commissioner, secretary of state, secre- all of that, as soon as folks knew who the preferred Trump candidate was, man, that that flipped it around. And so it, that is fascinating, right, that it doesn't seem to be affecting kind of at the Kemp level, but everybody else is getting drug under the Trump bus. That's why...
0: You have said six months is a long time. So let's let's keep it keep it together until we know all the facts, until we get to September, October. If we'll ask these questions to Jen again. All right. Because as it goes towards voter fraud and I say this on Twitter all the time. The only actual examples of voter fraud that I have seen in all the hysteria of laws changing and all of this are Republicans. This week alone, you had a whole voter fraud parade at the villages in Florida. You know, the great Republican stronghold where all that's like the senior community. There are Democrats there. There's a great documentary about the villages. Actually, it's on Hulu called Some Kind of Heaven. It's like
1: the resistance at the villages
0: <laughs> yes very small but it is like basically a a senior kind of maga rally uh community and and i'm not like Trying to be obnoxious here, like that's no, that's, I know that is I, what it is. I I I know people who live there. Okay, so, yes, so.
1: Uh, you are not. You know,
0: so so here we had a handful of people that did voter fraud there. So the the only one, you know, you had the cases where we've talked about in the past, Jen and I, where we've talked about how it was someone who accidentally voted as Mrs. John Smith when the husband died. She's a widow. And that was an accident. There's been a couple of those.
1: Well, it, a lot of it seemed to to be kind of administrative errors by, you know, back office kind of election officials kind of thing. Right. So, so but, but no intention whatsoever. No
0: one hiding, doing anything crazy or doing anything stupid, except... Except, except, well, let's get to our next guest. Staff writer for The New Yorker is with us, Charles Bethea, although he does not live in New York, as he says proudly on his Twitter bio. He does not live in New York. He lives in the ATL.
2: I do. I'm very happy to be here and uh, plan to be here for a while. Yeah, live, live over in Cabbage Town. Love it.
0: Cabbage Town. I was saying to Jen because we wanted to invite you to Jen's headquarters today because, you know, now that we're all, like, seeing people in person, I was like, oh, Charles, do you well, want to just come in? I invited you. You were like, oh, I'm busy. no, no, no. No.
2: <laughs> no. I uh, I am today, but I would love to come at some point.
0: Okay, good. And I was like, I don't know where he lives. I'm like probably like Grant Park or like somewhere edgy. And you (laughs) said Cabbage (laughs) (laughs) Town.
2: I'm uh yeah I'm not I'm not the latest wave of Cabbage Towners. I'm like a middle early ish, but not the obviously not the earliest. Like I moved here about ten years ago. Okay. Um, So. Yeah, before the Bell Line was a phenomenon and before everybody wanted to live here. Just when some people wanted to live here.
1: Well, then you made a good investment. You sure did.
2: Yeah. All
0: right. So let's let's talk about this. You have been, we, we were just talking about voter fraud and you have been, uh, and, and, and I want to bring up how it relates to uh, Mark Meadows. and mm-hmm. But you've been on the Mark Meadows beat since he was a congressman in North Carolina, you've been like on his trail for a long time.
2: Well, well, longer, longer maybe than you even realize, because when he was a real estate guy, a realtor in Highlands, North Carolina, when I was a kid, and this is mentioned only parenthetically in the the, the last story I did about this voter fraud situation, I actually rode around in the back of his truck with him and my dad. Um, he He was showing us properties. And we, my family actually ended up buying a property with his help. We're talking about like the mid nineties when I was like 11 or 12 years old.
1: That is hilarious. I did read that. And I was like only, only (laughs) in the South, right? Only in the South.
2: I know. So I have these like, you know, it's just weird. It's weird how life, you know, uh, one person enters your life in one way, one time and then you circle back and things have obviously changed for both of us quite a bit. Um, yeah, so I, you know, he was a nice guy. He was an amiable, amiable guy um, when I when I knew him as, as a kid, and I guess that makes sense for a, a realtor to to be friendly. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah so I started, think so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so
0: were, you,
2: 20- <laughs> were you? Were you
0: kind? So obviously, yeah. so uh, th- this is so strange to me because you've yeah. obviously covered him in the New Yorker as congressman from chief of staff yeah. at the White House. And, and you are now like the biggest rock in his shoe, man.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this is, yeah, this is probably the third or fourth story I've done on him. I wish I could have put them all into one long piece, but um, yeah, the first significant one was, I guess, three or four years ago, I reported on how uh, it it was unknown until my reporting that he had owned for a number of years, 130 something acres of property in this, uh, area called Dinosaur Colorado that has a lot of uh, dinosaur bones, as you might guess. And he uh, ultimately sold that property to a creationist paleontology group um, who, who was trying to use uh, dinosaur bones to prove the literal truth of the book of Genesis. And he didn't disclose his ownership of that property when he was in Congress. And that's against, that's against FPC rules. Um, and so that was kind of my first dipping my toes more deeply, I guess.
1: Into the, um, into the cray cray, <laughs> into the di-
0: yeah. world of dinosaurs. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. So that was three or four years ago. And then, yeah, a month and a half ago, jumping to the story we're mostly here to talk about now, um, I, I got a tip about, uh, can't say from who obviously, but I got a tip that, um, he, his voter registration was, um connected to a property that he didn't seem to own in an area that seemed a little odd and so I, I began to look into that.
1: So in terms of how did you figure out like did you physically go there and and say whoa uh-huh. this is a little nutty?
2: I did and I yeah I went up there shortly after getting the step I went up there and you know like like I said I I spent time up there as a kid when my family had a had a cabin in the, in the area, not, um, scaly mountain, but in a, in a nearby town. So I was pretty familiar with the area and about two and a half, three hours from Atlanta. So I drove up on a weekend or maybe it was a Friday. And, um, my goal was just to see what this property looked like. I found pictures online that showed what, what appeared to be, uh a mobile home, like 14 by 60 something foot mobile home, um, uh, on the side of, uh, On a hill, on a hillside, the rusting roof, and just nothing very spectacular. uh, So, like a single
1: wide? Is it okay? Is it a single Uh, wide or a double wide? Because that's how (laughs) I think about trailers.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's it's I guess it's a double wide. Um, Okay, well, uh, you know, um, but you know, not real, not real snazzy. And and as the as the owner told me, um, and this is a place he you know he cares about his place. He said, I really can't imagine the chief of staff of the president of the United States ever standing here. Um, and so, you know, he was one of many people I talked to that expressed great disbelief that this place um, was Meadows' residence, uh, much, you know, a much less a place where he'd ever set foot. Uh, but I began knocking on doors um, and uh, talking to neighbors and and elections officials and trying to get to the bottom of it.
0: And you're knocking on doors around there. And, and yeah. That's a kind of a
1: risky thing, especially in that part of North Carolina. I don't know. They may have thought he was like an FBI agent, you know, like he would throw throw up a picture of Mark Meadows and be like, "Um, ma'am, have you, have you seen this gentleman before?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, no, I definitely, my my heart was, my heart was beating a little bit. I'll be honest. I mean, I don't, I don't love, I don't love that aspect of the job. I'm not, uh, I'm not the most kind of out. I can be outgoing, but it's not like, there are certain journalists who I think thrive on that like sort of person to person interaction. And I'm, I'm not really that guy, but, uh, yeah, I, I sort of screwed up my courage and knocked on the door, um, of this house, uh, where I, I had, uh, learned that, um, the neighbors, uh, were friends with the Meadows family, these, these people called the, the Tallies and their house is relative to the mobile home much nicer. You, you can picture just sort of like, uh, I don't know. Like a, a place you could imagine, like a well-to-do Atlanta family vacationing. Um, and, you know, what I had gone for me, I guess, apart from, let's be honest, being a white guy, um, was, uh, I, didn't, I didn't say I was from New York, first of all. Um, I don't want to leave with that. I led with the fact that uh, I knew the area quite well. And I, you know, she immediately assumed a number of things about me and, and, and quickly told me, what those assumptions were, things like me being a member of news media. But as soon as I started being able to refer to specific roads and places and features of that, of that mountain uh, community, broader mountain community, I think she was like, oh, wait, this guy, he, he hasn't just parachuted in here. He actually sort of knows something. And when I told her about how I had driven around with meadows when I was a kid, I mean, that certainly um, uh, made her think twice uh, about about who, who I was. So I'm sure it was a bit shocking, A, to have anybody come to your door in this tr- kind of rural place, B, to start talking about Mark Meadows, and C, to um, actually sort of kind of know him from back in the day. And she was a talker, this lady. Um, and I started asking her questions, and she said a lot of wild stuff, um, a lot of the kind of conspiratorial stuff you hear from hardcore Trump people. Um, without my soliciting it, she started talking about hydroxychloroquine and I mean, really just kind of checking all the boxes you can imagine, um, some, you, you would have on a piece of paper before going to the home of a, a person like this. And, uh, eventually, you know, I got around to the questions about, um, the mobile home next door. And even though she was suspicious of me, cause she said as much, she told me. I asked her twice. Um, she told me that Deborah Meadows, Mark's wife, and the kids had visited for one or two nights sometime in the last few years, but that Mark hadn't been with them. And I guess this is a good time to talk about why that's important because there, are, you know, there are certain rules regarding residency that differ a little from state to state. Um, Jen, you may know more about uh, this and, uh, than I do, but you know, there are certain rules um, about how you establish residency for the purposes of voter registration.
1: Yeah, there are. So, and like, it's interesting, how yeah. old were his children? So when we talk about kids, yeah. you know, coming with yeah, the wife.
2: Yeah, they're adults. They're adults. So they, they live in, I think they live in Atlanta. You you mentioned um, the, the wedding of his daughter in Atlanta. So they're, yeah, they're adult kids, you know, 20, 30 something years old.
1: Yeah, because it would be interesting if I guess if they were younger at the time, to kind of cross-reference the the voter um, reg files in terms of were they at that address as well.
2: Yeah, no, they're 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 not as far as I know. Just the wife, just Deborah and Mark um, are registered to this, this mobile home. That again, it looks like best case scenario for the Meadows family. The wife stayed for maybe one or two nights, and we can talk about why that isn't
1: sufficient. Um, yeah, no, of, it's, it's it's just not sufficient at all. I mean, look, yeah. most states require that you, there's some kind of affirmative, you know, y- y- you've signed a lease, you've bought property, you've, um, you know, you have your driver's license at a particular address. I mean, there has to be overt kind of things. That's why they require, even in terms of voter ID, you know, bringing your utility bill, right? You have to show that right. you are actually intending. Not only do you live there, but you intend to to, to be there and stay there, um, and that this isn't just some kind of transitory uh, place. So that's exactly. what's that's yeah. what's so yeah. crazy about the story. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's not a dumb person. I mean, this seems yeah. like it is just so. Kind of in your face? It's
2: really brazen. It's really brazen. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I think it's kind of in keeping with a lot of the, the sort of um, behaviors that we've seen in different ways, manifested in different ways from the Trump administration, right? Um, extremely brazen and, and without a whole lot of perhaps forethought. Um, maybe just thought they could get away with it. I mean, yes, he was certainly was a North Carolina resident for many years. He was a congressman there for eight years. But he had sold, he and his wife had sold their property, uh, this, we're talking about 2020 now in the fall. They'd sold their property in March that they'd had uh, in nearby Sapphire. And they were without a, a home in North Carolina at that time. They had a condo um, in Virginia. Um, so right before the 2020 election, you know, and, and Meadows never responded to me. so I'm only sort of guessing here, but if he wanted to establish um, or to continue to establish a, a um, history of having voted from this state, where perhaps he harbored or still harbors some um, ambitions for higher office, such as maybe Senate or something, um, he would need to be able to uh, have a, have a residence on his and put it on his voter registration. And it seems that as the election neared, he just sort of like threw a dart almost at, at the map and. You know it was a place that yes, it was within thirty minutes of a town he knew quite well, and yes, it was right next door to some old friends of the family. But as you said, Jen, you have to stay there for the rules of North Carolina are. you have to sleep there for a night and you have to um, indicate um an intent to reside there indefinitely, and that's the he seems to have fulfilled neither of those requirements.
1: So so something you just said, which was interesting, which is because I'm like, why would he have done this? Right. Like right. this is just seems just so brazen. Mm-hmm. But going back to what you said, if he really was kind of thinking about maybe running for U.S. Senate from North Carolina, um, yeah. you know, he would because those rules are really strict in terms of residency. Um, yeah. And. You know, you can't like be a resident for North Carolina and then maybe six months you're a resident of Virginia and then come back and be able to count, you know, the, the residency right. before. It has to be kind of um, continual. So that mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. seems to be like the only at least reasonable, if not yeah. unlawful explanation. It doesn't seem like he would
0: is someone that would be reasonable. It seems really, mm-hmm. really strange. Mm
2: hmm. Yeah, it's really weird. It's very, very weird. Um, and he's, you know, it's been now. Uh, we're talking on April fifteenth, and it's been five weeks since the story came out. Uh, my story uh, that was the first to talk about this, and he and his people have said nothing.
1: That's so strange on, on the
2: record. So I mean, to me, that's I. I kind of half expected him to come out or his people to come out with, a, oh, well. You know, Debbie accidentally filled out the form, didn't talk to her husband or, you know, something like that. Um, But they've been silent, which I don't know, to me, uh, seems to suggest some some degree of guilt here. Like they don't have a they don't have a story to tell.
1: Well, and they and they actually cast a ballot. Right. In terms of under under that address. So yeah, they did. You know, mm-hmm. do you know if they voted in person or was it absentee? I guess probably
2: um, absentee. He he voted uh, absentee, and she voted in person.
1: Yeah, because you don't you have to supply uh, an, an ID in North Carolina, a photo ID. That's just and, and you have to cross reference with the address. This is, I mean, and to go all, through all that trouble for just like
0: the one or two votes. I I'm curious to know, since your story came out, it's been reported so widely. I mean, it's really been every, you, you were really the first person to investigate this. Like you were went from like a rock in Mark Meadows stew to like a damn boulder and a, you know, infected toe because it just wouldn't uh, stop. Okay. Uh, Washington post, New York times, like everybody on top of this until now he's on hold with the election boards. Right. What's the latest with that?
2: Well, well um, want to point out that that one big outlet has not yet covered it and that that is fox news um, hasn't yet covered the story and i'm not I'm not, I'm not sure why I'm not sure why <laughs> um, but uh the national review actually covered it uh, yesterday or the day before the conservative outlet that's i guess regarded as like a, a more of an establishment republican style um, publication that's you know that has anti trump voices within it and their their piece, I pointed this out on Twitter yesterday. Their piece, um, you know, it sort of was open to the idea that yes, maybe Mark Meadows committed voter fraud here. You know, let's, let's let the the investigation play out was um, sort of their their thinking. But the writer also somehow invented um, some something that that from my reporting isn't true, which is he claimed in, in his story about my reporting that the Meadows family had made. Periodic vacations to this place, to the mobile home, was how he put it, and that's just not true. Um, just in case any any listeners saw that and were curious, um, we only know of Debbie's one trip to the mobile home. Um, but even if it was even if it was a vacation, that would undermine right that would undermine the residency right. claim. Right, that's so. that's
1: transitory. So. Did you check yeah. with Virginia to see if they had registered to vote there as well? or
2: I didn't know that was that was some subsequent reporting that was that was triggered by my reporting. I think The Times reported on that. and so he was subsequently just this week, as a procedural matter, he was removed from the uh, the voter rolls in North Carolina since he most recently cast a vote uh, last year in North, in Virginia.
1: That's just nutty. I mean. Yeah. And so,
0: Charles, yeah. what's it like when you're calling Mark Meadows for comment on this? Like, is, <laughs> what are they doing? You know, are they just like, how I, many numbers uh, yeah. do you have that? I mean, they probably can't block your number fast enough, right?
2: Yeah, I, um, I only had, so I, we had the magazine, The New Yorker, uh, one of my colleagues had his direct personal email address. So we, we used email, which he had responded to for a previous New Yorker story that, that concerned him. So we knew that he got emails there, but he did not respond to to our lengthy list of questions, both my questions and those of the fact checker. Sometimes people like him won't respond to a reporter, but when a fact checker reaches out, they kind of realize, oh wait, this is real, you know, and they decide to respond. But he didn't respond to those those two sets of inquiries by email, and um, his. His uh, main communications guy who I've dealt with in the past didn't want to speak or say anything on the record. So I, I won't reveal what he said off the record, but, um, you know, it wasn't ultimately helpful um, because he you know, wasn't involved in the piece that I wrote. And, and I think, you know, he didn't go on the record for obvious reasons. He didn't really have a, a useful story to tell for his boss.
1: I, I bet he didn't. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems yeah. like there's a this heap of trouble. I mean, this is so interesting, Charles. Well, what happens next? I mean, I mean, I keep yeah. I, I, I've been doing this with Charles a lot. Um, I, he's like the Scooby-Doo mystery machine with Scooby and Shaggy <laughs> and the kids uh, where I feel like Mark Meadows and his family is probably like we would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for Charles, but
2: we're dating ourselves with that reference, aren't we? <laughs> I love that show as a kid. I'm, oh, I'm it's cross
1: I mean, generational.
2: It? It? I hope so. I hope so. I loved it. But um, so, what's happening now? Um, it's in the hands of the investigation. There's an open investigation being conducted jointly, as I understand it, by the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigations and the North Carolina State Board of Elections. They're together looking into the matter, and since it's an ongoing investigation, they have not um, offered any details to me or any of uh, any, any other members of the media that I'm aware of. Um, but I have spoken to a former investigator on background um, from the Board of Elections, who seems to think that it's a relative. Well, these are these are never simple to prove because the the challenger. The burden of proof is uh, is on the the challenger um and uh she still though thinks that probably it, it should be wrapped up in the next few weeks, so in terms of timeline, hopefully we'll know something i don't know by by mid may
1: well, that would be interesting timing,
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, well we know
1: Charles <laughs> Bethayt will be on this
0: on the scene, man, knocking on doors at trailer parks. It's hardcore. Unarmed. On the side of a mountain.
1: <laughs> we'll yeah, try. From unarmed. Cabbage Town to the trailer park. Well, that may not be that far. So. That's, not, that's not nice, Mary. I'm
0: just trying to set the scene, Jen. Charles, thank you as always for talking to us. And sure. uh, thank you for your great commitment to journalism. I mean, it is amazing how you sniff something out and it's really turned into something huge especially from the cheerleader of there's so much voter fraud happening from someone who's committing or potential allegedly yeah
2: yeah yeah that's something maybe we should just brief i should briefly underline it's a good point we haven't really focused on but but mark meadows yeah he was one of the cheerleaders as you put it um accurately i think of this this idea that Trump lost the or, or um, only lost the election because of massive voter fraud and really it seems like when we actually find out about voter fraud it's often you know uh, high powered Republicans who are involved in it like him so the the hypocrisy is is quite is, it seems quite real and um, while this might not be Meadows' greatest defense against American democracy it's definitely a uh, a notable and um, uh, just a really notable instance of, of hypocrisy that I think people, voters on both sides, but especially, of course, no left are savoring um, because it just points to, to how full of crap um, some of these folks can be.
1: Well, if Meadows is listening, which I know he isn't, but I'd lawyer up if I, if I were him, because, <laughs> uh, you know, this may not be his biggest offense, but it sounds like it may be the clearest and the most able to be proven in a court of law. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Charles, as always, we thank you. And um,
0: keep on knocking on doors, man. Couldn't do without you.
2: Will do. Talk to you soon.
0: All right. Well, that was... um, that was a lot of info, Jen. What, what what do you make of that? I mean, I love Charles, and I love a visual of Charles in a Scooby-Doo mystery machine driving around the trailer <laughs> to the trailers, knocking on doors.
1: Well, what's great about him is that he's so dogged, and he, he kind of gets just this little sense. It's almost like a Spidey sense, right? And then he just keeps pulling, and then it becomes this bigger story that he's really able to kind of weave together, and he's such a great writer too. We're we're really lucky to have him here.
0: Great writer, great reporter, and obviously the part that I didn't press him on, which I really wanted him to, and if he's listening, maybe he can tell me this privately. But like the tipster, because who is that tipster? There's someone in the
1: neighborhood who had an axe to grind. Well, it may not have been in or, the neighborhood. It may have been someone close to Meadows or former Trumper or somebody that's been burned by Meadows. But, yeah, I mean, tipsters are really interesting.
0: They really are. And as again, I'm always saying I'm learning things from you and learning things about politics. And I learned so much from Greg Bluestein's book. I know this is like a commercial for his book, but like how and it shouldn't be. I mean, or why shouldn't it be? I mean, Greg's awesome. But learning how, like, the way people want to get things to journalists may not be who you think are the people who are getting things to journalists.
1: Yeah, it's never who you think it is. And um, my experience has been even dealing with um, kind of some deep throats on the legal side, the legal political side, is that they're usually insiders very close to whomever the target is and the target has no idea wow yeah it's fun (laughs) be careful with who's in your office well yeah i guess so (laughs) well how about this why don't you just not commit voter fraud well don't commit
0: voter fraud i mean again that is just i mean the whole story of this i mean listen i have always had an axe to grind with mark meadows because of for me it was the red wedding when he had a wedding for his daughter in the middle of COVID in the middle of COVID when it was like you could barely like I was panicking just to go to Publix you know because I didn't want to like I wanted to be a huge rule follower. fancy
1: expensive so in my head as as Charles is talking <laughs> about this trailer I'm getting like these flashbacks of the pictures <laughs> from that wedding and I'm like Ain't no way Mark Meadows is living in a double m- wide with a rusty roof.
0: Ah, uh, no, especially because what well, was the best? I mean, they're not online anymore, but I mean, that's talking about leaking things to journalists. The entire wedding photo album was online where you could like, look at everything, look at the bride. I mean, I went through all those pictures and uh, bitter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's why they call it bitter Twitter. I
0: mean, bitter Twitter and karma. I mean, seriously, karma. Like, here he was living his his best life. And, like, you, you was just, like, such a weird, like, you could see, like, the people in the background, like, the bartender with, like, a mask oh, on, yeah, you yeah. know. And, like, but everybody else in the party is just, like, celebrating. And it just reminded me of, like... Uh, Willy Wonka, Veruca Salt, Daddy, I want it now. Forget about a global pandemic. I want my wedding right now, Daddy. I'm going to have it now. So, yeah, he's not living in a trailer park. Uh, he's not living in a trailer. That is not, that is not a thing. Anything else you want to reveal today? Anything else going on that you want to tell us?
1: No, I want to make sure that everybody uh, makes sure they're registered to vote. Check your status. You can go to um my voter page, which is mvp.ga.sos.gov. Um it's the secretary of state's website. It basically you just put in your name and your date of birth and it pulls up all your information, it tells you what precinct, if you're registered, and then it'll tell you if you're not registered, right? So um and then you can register. So we have to make sure that everybody's checking their status because sometimes People get purged. Sometimes there are mistakes in terms of administration of the database. And we don't want anything standing in anybody's way to vote for the primary on May 24th. We'll drop that link in the episode notes uh, so
0: everybody can see it and everybody can check. And it is really great because, yeah, that primary is coming up. Are you going to be like when the primary happens, are you going to be like on the street waving and stuff? (laughs) <laughs> I, by the way, if you could see me like
1: I'm faux, like I'm I'm she's waving, <laughs> but it's almost like, you know, like the, the beauty pageant wave. So usually what we do is the largest precincts we would go to in my Senate district. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it looks like for a, a statewide, right? It's uh, right. That's why I'm asking
0: like, where are you going to go? What I don't are you know. Do?
1: I don't know. I mean, but we've got, you know, we're in the thirties now in terms of, of the countdown. So you know, for the for the first hurdle, you, you know, we got to get over that. I know. I've been seeing all your pictures. You're meeting. You're greeting.
0: You're, I mean, you're doing it. We've come a long way. Yes, and we're very tired. You are, but you're always awesome. Listen, everybody, uh, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, Christina Loringer, for producing today. Thank you for listening and staying loyal to vote her podcast. And uh, we'll keep it going as long as... Jen lets me into her office I will consistently have questions for her uh, because we're in a whole new chapter you okay with that Jen sure
1: (laughs) have a good one y'all